Welcome to the Bull City Summit Podcast, a place where science, technology, art, and music converge, and a place where you can hear more about the Bull City Summit, September 14th to 18th in the Bull City of Durham, North Carolina. Today, BCS CEO Parag Bhandari hosts from the EarFluence Podcast Studio at American Underground in Durham. Here's Parag. This is Parag with Bull City Summit. We are doing the Bull City Summit Podcast, episode 15. We are at EarFluence, basement of American Underground. I don't know how else to start this one off other than... Our guest today is just an old, dear friend, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna get into that. But legendary electronic music producer, DJ, label owner of Brooklyn Fire Records, three words, New York University adjunct professor, just all around great human being and friend, Tommy Sunshine. Wow. Hello. Tommy, Tommy, Tommy. Greetings and salutations. It's been 20 years and this is the first time I'm interviewing you. Like, think about that. I've never interviewed you. That's weird. That's weird. I've not once (laughs) and probably never again after this, but that's a whole other story. (laughs) But I mean, we've probably talked like hundreds of hours on the telephone. So just, just like yesterday alone. Totally. Um, man, we're going to get into so much stuff, but the best way to start this interview after all the things that we've done together, I get a text message Monday morning when it's Tuesday, yeah, yesterday morning about how you had to rent a laptop. (laughs) Dude, I want to hear this entire story just because the idea of Tommy Sunshine renting a laptop in any scenario is just amazing to me. You, you can't imagine me going into Mikey's hookup and Williamsburg. I was going to, I love it how you just said that because I literally wrote down, it wasn't Mikey's hookup. It was Troy's Laptop Emporium. That's <laughs> no. where you went. No. <laughs> That's where you went. Are you on the rented laptop now? I am. Wow. Yeah, my, I, I, my computer just took a swan dive. <laughs> I, I plugged it in and... And I, I looked at the screen and it had a little laptop graphic in the middle <laughs> with a big X through it. And I was like, oh, that oh, can't man. be good. Yeah. So oh. um, I'm on borrowed time right now. I just love the visual of you like going in and be like, hey, do you have a laptop I can rent? That's just, I love it. I, I, I'm sure you hated it, but it was a, an amazing way to start off the week, which is Bull City Summit Week. We'll get into that as well, too. 20 oh, yeah. years ago, Tommy. Mm-hmm. Winter Music Conference. It was a party called Bandages because oh. we had a bunch of bands and DJs. So we called it Bandages. You, Junior Sanchez, Arthur Baker, this new kid, Steve Aoki. <laughs> uh God knows who else played that party. Felix the house cat. Uh, can I can I tell my favorite memory of that party? So many. This well, was two thousand, the year two thousand and three. Yeah, Winter music I, conference. I'll never forget. There was there was a guy that was. I wish out. I could forget it. The what? 
<laughs> I said I wish I could forget it. I remember at the aftermath of that event, but anyway. Oh, well, the aftermath of that event is the Bull City Summit. So. <laughs> yeah, here you go. Um, exactly right. I'm okay with that. There you uh, go. <laughs> so there was a guy that was in the booth, like during Junior's whole set and then during my whole set. And I was like, mm-hmm. who is this guy? Right? I had no idea. And he introduced himself and he said, uh, my name is Laidback Luke. And I was oh, like, oh, wow. I was like, oh, man. I'm That's like, right. He was on the lineup. Oh, no, my Lord. I don't know. I don't think he played. No, but he was on the layout. No, no, no. I remember he was actually on the lineup. His small letters. Yeah, yeah. Junior put him on. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, I used to play his techno records in the nineties. So like, I was, I was like super jazzed to meet him. And he was like, he's like, oh, oh, like what you and Junior are doing with the rock stuff. It's so cool. And I was like, oh my god, this is so weird. Like. This is somebody whose records I played probably, you know, five, five to seven years before who is like hanging back in the booth yeah, watching what we were doing and was like, oh, you know, like you guys have your finger on the pulse. And like, we were like, uh, okay, cool. Like we had no idea. We were just doing what we wanted to do. Do that, and- that, oh my Lord. I, that you, you're, you're, you're bringing back some, cause that's right. It was like, Oh my God, the lineup was just insane. It was you and junior Arthur Baker laid back Luke. That's right. For God's sakes. And, uh, crazy, the bravery and just like all these, like, it was just, it was just absolutely crazy. And like, that was 2003 post nine 11, literally the start of like the Miami, New York, electro indie punk, indie rock scene that you, um have been have have been such a big part of um that's how you and i met you know i'm playing in my band figo in new york and we've done a bunch of stuff and that whole scene you you you've been involved with i mean there's so much i want to get into but like can you talk about that 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 era like (laughs) because i think in a lot of ways of all the things that you've you've accomplished as 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 a as a curator as a as a as a musician as a producer um to my knowledge you were really coming into form during that era too so talk about 20 years ago uh i'd love just give give me some give me some stories man take it from that that winter music 2003 laid back luke arthur baker experience to you know 10 years there's a little bit of stuff before that so and and i'll I'll keep it brief but like go for it let's go baby you know, the, the reason that I, you know, came to New York was I, I was working for a record store called Satellite Records. I was running there, Atlanta. Scott Richmond. That's right. Shout out. Good man. Good and, man. and, you know, I was running their Atlanta store in the 90s. And I, I would come up to New York to go to Watts and to Syntax and go to the distributors downtown and, you know, grab records for the store. And, you know, New York was a very, very different place in the oh, 90s. Gotcha. Okay. So, I mean, like, I was just like, this place is, you know, it's unhinged. And, you know, it, it, it was a I used to go there with Punkage, my older brother. Yep. You, 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 him, and Scott Richmond, that was the whole crew that kind of got me into it. And, you know, it, it was, you know, coming up here, I never, ever would have dreamed 
that I would be in New York. I mean, I, I loved it, but I mean, it just seemed unobtainable to me because, you know, it was just so fast moving and, you know, I'm from the yeah. Midwest. So, I mean, like, you know, things, things were. Chicago specifically. Yeah. Very different frequency in, in shy. So like, <laughs> you know, we were just hanging out, going to see Derek Carter. That's all we ever did. And, and raved a lot, but you know, I mean, it was, it was very fresh and very new and it was the probably the, the the people that got me into like coming to New York on the regular were Fisher Spooner. So yeah, I had met them because I was a huge fan of their music and Casey Spooner had me come out to play his birthday party, which was at this like a band, like a crazy warehouse in Williamsburg by the water, which, you know, then was not like strollers and yuppies and, you know, million dollar condos. It was like, don't get stabbed on the way back to the, to the L train. You know, it was a very, very different Williamsburg. And so I played this party and I, I just, I'll never forget it. Because so Casey, was, Casey brought you out from Chicago or you started going out because you had a, you, you had a friendship with Casey, right? Yeah. I mean, like is I, that, I, is that I, how it, I had, yeah, I had played a couple of events and, and I was being brought out by Larry to play Berlinium's Larry T. Yeah. At, uh, yeah, yeah. Spencer product. Like, you know, they Spencer. were, bringing, they were bringing me out to play at, 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 uh, Berlinium's at Got Love. it. Got it. Cool which was on Grand Avenue and was like, you know, kind of the epicenter of Electro Clash. So I was playing there. Yep. And then in the spring of 2002, Tommy Soleil ended up at my party in Miami, which was one of the wildest ones that we did. It was on Ocean what Drive. What year is this again? Sorry, say that again. 2000. 2000. So this no, is the year, gotcha. the year before we did our first thing. Totally, totally, yep. And... You know, I had um, I had like Adult and John Selway and Ectomorph and all these like you know like yeah, deep yeah. electro cats like playing, you know, this party. And I'll, I'll never forget uh, Adam and Nicola from from Adult, and they, they I think one of them was wearing a Dead Kennedy shirt and the other one nice. was a Black Flag T shirt, and and they're like DJing, you know, and they were playing insane music. And, you know, the owner yeah. of this hotel, you know, lobby that we were playing in was having like a nervous breakdown because it was the opposite of what he signed up for. But it was the yeah. it was exactly what we signed up for. So, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, we did we did this thing and Tommy Soleil, who I'd never met. Um, Great guy. I was talking to Trisha Romano, who was the the kind of like nightlife writer for the Village Voice at the time. And he kind of just sideswipes the conversation and steps in and is like, my name is Tommy Soleil. (laughs) And I had just finished my, I I played a bunch of times that day, but it was like my early set. And he was like, "Uh, you know, I'm Tommy Soleil. You're my new resident DJ. I love it. And I was like, Hi. <laughs> okay. What, what is that? Wait, is mean? that your full name? What, which part is that? That's your full name. Wow. So, so I'm like, I'm like, okay, great. What, what resident where? And he was like, 
at the Tribeca Grand Hotel. Yes. In New York City. And I was like, good times. You know, I'm like, okay, what's that? You know, I didn't even know what he was talking about. And (laughs) he brought me out like the first week of April, which was like maybe a couple of weeks later. And I think I, I think I played with Tika that night. Sure. Wow. And, and, you know, over the course of the next year, I played with Hell, yeah. uh, Princess Superstar, Too Many DJs, mm-hmm. James Murphy. Um, it just went on and on and on. Too Many mm-hmm. DJs being soul wax, as mm-hmm. people know them. Yep. Of course. But, you know, just playing with like the greatest people. And, yeah. and it just kept getting like bigger and bigger and bigger. And, you know, LCD played in the basement of the Tribeca Grand sure. Hotel on Halloween of 2002 and played, you know, all covers. And it was insane. I mean, that yeah. room was just like a very special place. Yeah. And, you know, I was doing like after parties for like Jeremy Scott and, mm-hmm. and doing these crazy things. Jeremy Scott and, uh, and Casey Spooner broke like a $20,000 couch in the awesome. in the Soho Grand nice yeah, Soho Grand Hotel I was playing there for one of the Fisher Spooner after parties <laughs> and uh I believe I was playing Debbie Gibson only in my dreams and <laughs> and the two of them were jumping up and down oh man you just reminded me of something and they broke the couch and you know if, as with everything else during that time you know, we just kept on partying because we were invincible and everything was awesome. And, you know, that parlayed itself into 2003 where my production partner and I, uh, Mark Verbos, we decided we we had to move to New York because there was so much opportunity. So this is all pre-moving to New York. Got you. That's incredible, man. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I felt this like, you know, tractor beam pull into New York <laughs> City. And it was like, yeah. okay, I have to be there. And, you know, this was during the time of the, the motherfucker parties. And, you know, New York was an unbelievable place then. Like, I mean, right know, after 9-11, it was just, and, and, yeah, I mean, this is, the, the, I guess, you, this is pre you coming into New York. There's, I mean, nothing, there's nothing like it. I mean, I, I kind of, and how I, you and I linked up, but look at little, little parallel, like, um, you know, Steve from soul wax was the drummer for formula one before I started playing drums with them. And we were re- rehearsing out of the same room that Interpol rehearsed out of. And this is 25th <laughs> street and 10th Avenue. And after those shows, we would go down to, uh, motor city. Right. And the annex and just all those spots. And I think yeah. you and I just linked up at, at so, somewhere, you know, and then definitely through junior and, you know, Alexander technique and that whole crew, uh, leading up to those Miami parties. And then it was just like this Miami, New York back and forth. So you're coming in moving into New York after, you know, being brought out to play these parties for Casey. I remember doing an event with Fisher Spooner at, at museum of modern art. Um, that might've been one of the first things that you've, that we've done that. I don't know if you played that, that, that part, that party or not. 
Um, but you're, you're coming back and forth, you're landing in New York and then you're just in it in this, in this world of post electro clash or like congruent, yeah. I would no, say I'm, no, into, you know, into this indie rock electro, uh, blog house world, which I really want to talk about because for yeah. me, and I'm going to shut, I'm going to shut up after this because God, I, I could, I could spend 17.9 hours talking about all the sh- yeah, I can say shit stuff that you and I have done in well, that- Miami. But the one thing I want to talk about and then just shut up for a while, because no. yeah, it, se- it, it, it sets it for me. Hang on. I the Sasha and Digweed now. Boat Party. The yeah. Sasha and Digweed Boat Party. Oh, Winter yeah. Music Conference. I remember, and I don't even know if this was 2003, 4, 5. Definitely not one of the first things you and I have done. Maybe the, the 27th. But I remember going on that boat, you playing Steve Miller Band. It's like sunset. And then go. Thomas. I mean, you know, it was funny. I, I was playing uh, an event for, I think it was Jimmy Van M, who used to be like, uh, he was really connected to Sasha in a lot of ways. And I was playing an event for him in this courtyard um, on, uh, on Collins and, and, you know, everybody looked like they had had like enough of like dance music, you know, like it was like, (laughs) it was like three, three or four in the afternoon. And like everybody, they looked like they had enough. It's great. They just looked (laughs) cooked, you know, like it was like, you know, it was time to like take it in another pink dot in Miami beach. And yeah. So, you know, I start playing like, Herb Alpert rise <laughs> and like, you know, hotel California and yeah. fly like an Eagle and the theme between peaks <laughs> and all of this crazy stuff. And it and was perfect. It, it was absolutely perfect. But he stepped over and he said to me, he was like, do you want to open for Sasha and Digweed tomorrow on, on their, their boat party? And I was I like, what do you want me to play? And he was like, <laughs> exactly this and i was like oh okay so it's like you know we're we're pulling out from the dock and you know i'm playing i think it was the 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 theme from twin peaks and it went into no it like, was steve miller band dude oh fly like you were playing Eagle. yes yeah, yeah. It was steve yeah. miller band i specifically and, you know, remember like the where i was on the boat playing you know it was just perfect yeah come together by Primal Scream and, you know, totally. Soul Soul, Keep On Moving and all these like great records that were just like chill records. And those were the records that we used to listen to when we were coming down off of LSD, like in the early yeah. rave days. <laughs> so it was just like, I just looked at it like, oh, well, cool. I'm just yeah. going to like set this up. And the reason that I got booked to do that was, you know, I wasn't going to try to show up Sasha and John, like yeah. I was there to just set the mood, which is like what an opening DJ is supposed to do. But you know, DJs haven't been doing that for well over twenty years now. Yeah. Like yeah. they they get on and whip it out and like turn everything up as loud as it goes, and you know they're already redlining when you arrive to the club, and it's sure, like totally. yo, it's eleven thirty. Can you like dial it back like a little? So I have somewhere. Oh to my go. God. <laughs> and so, you know, that was like its own thing, but it was, it was really cool because that's been a common theme in my career 
Like when I moved back to Chicago in 2000, I lived there from 2000 to 2003. Yeah. And the DJ that I most opened for in Chicago when I lived there was Derek Carter. And and he was my musical hero. I mean, like he's the best DJ in the world. And so getting to open for him was was such a thrill. But the reason that I was getting booked to open for him was I was the only DJ in Chicago that wasn't trying to be Derek Carter. Sure. You know, everybody was like trying to jockey to play the big records before he did. And he hated that, of course. So, you know, it was like, well, book Tommy. He's not going to play any of the records that Derek plays. Like, you know, yeah. that's, that's an easy solution. So I, I became like the de facto, like, and it was the same thing. You know, it, it, these, these common, common themes have always kind yeah. of stitched their way in. Because, you know, I've, I've always looked at DJing and music and art in general as something that has gloriously no rules. Sure. Sure. So, you know, th- that being the case, it's like, you know, I I don't understand like well, I, if if you're well, I, an, if you're an artist, right? Mm-hmm. And and you have the opportunity to do something that's entirely on your own terms. Why on earth would you do it in like the most conventional way? That makes yeah. no sense to me. Like if that's what you want to do, Go work in someone's office. Well, I mean like, that theme has permeated everything you've done, but I want to I want to touch yeah. something specifically on because you know the the you know your your core Chicago, so your Chicago Detroit house days. Um, you're you're differentiating yourself from that, which has led you to New York, right? It's probably why Spencer. I love Spencer. I miss Spencer. Uh, you know, and, and Casey and everyone and Tommy Soleil, it makes total sense because you're not from New York, which checkbox and you're an export from Chicago, which is this hot spot, but you're not exactly doing what you just said, what everyone else is doing. So that makes sense. But then you just come to New York and then like gasoline's poured on your beautiful blonde hair, white (laughs) at this time. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, you're, you're going into, I come on, I want, I kind of want to loop it back to where you were, you it's like post electro clash, Larry T and princess superstar. And that, that whole 2002, 2003 ish, 2004 start going into like, you know, there's this band called the killers that comes out and there's this band, you know, called the rapture. And there's this band called, you know, I don't know, uh, uh, the rakes, if you remember the rakes, you know, and, 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 and and these bands are just like, I think it's one of Aoki's first signings actually. And it's like, you know, the dim Mac records, the fool's gold, your label, Brooklyn fire. It's like that whole world was just getting ignited on fire. We're talking 2004, five. How do you, how was that for you? And then kind of take me to, to like 2010s ish, but like, you know, you, how was that? Because that you were like, of all the stuff that you've accomplished, I think after that, a lot of that has germinated when you were in New York, right? You're coming oh, yeah. out of Chicago, whatever. But this New York, Miami thing, and then 
talk to me about Blockhouse. Talk to me about the indie rock stuff. Talk to me about the Dim Max and the Brooklyn Fires and the Fool's Golds and um, uh, Luca and Drop the Lime and that whole mm. that that whole uh, ecosystem, right? So that led to so much stuff. Yeah, before like, yeah. you know, twenty tens ish. All right, go. What what people don't really understand is that during electro clash which you know electro clash in in its most like basic form was just purely electronic mm -hmm. so during that time there was this spillover where there were all these bands that were like kind of closely connected to electro clash but you wouldn't really call them electro clash mm -hmm. you know the yeah 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 totally. interpol yeah, exactly. mm -hmm. Uh, you know, hot, hot heat, like all these, like mm -hmm. radio four, uh, radio four and, you know, DFA became, you know, evolved into LCD sound system. All yep. of these bands were like, I was playing those records in between Fisher Spooner and mm -hmm. Tia and Miss Kitten and the Hacker. So like, mm -hmm. it was this kind of mishmash of like rock and roll indie and then like this you know throwback 80s electronic stuff like the stuff i was doing with felix mm -hmm. so you know that just kind of like the electro clash part of it like cycled out and then like you know interpol became a bigger band lcd sound system became a bigger band and there was this kind of interim which is when we met each other yeah, and and there there was this kind of in between period, yep. and two thousand three two thousand four was this kind of, I guess it was a bit of a gray area because like none of us mm -hmm. knew really what to do because yeah. you know we had come out of electro clash in New York at least it was kind of passe, mm -hmm. you know, and at that time New York ran the world musically. And, you know, like everything else, it took like two or three years for it to make its way to Los Angeles. And, you know, L.A. was having electro clash parties in like 2007, 2008. Like they were on a totally different timeline. But, yeah, wow. But the Internet changed all that. And we, you know, we, I say, you know, New York kind sure. of lost our footing as the you know, as the place for the music and it kind of switched to Los Angeles yeah. and we haven't, we haven't that's really right. gotten it back yet. So no, that's, that's a, that's a great call, but it was the internet. You know what I mean? Like it, it just, yeah. became, you know, we, we would be into bands from England. Well, I wouldn't say like, we lost it to LA. It was, it was like a simultaneous thing for a long, long time. And then it just kind of went over to LA. I would, I would say like 2003 to four, five, six, you got like, Boys and Girls, Webster Hall. You got, you know, all that stuff going on in New York. And then flip side is like, you know, the Dim Max, Cinespace Tuesdays, or like what eventually, you know, what was going on, you know, eventually with, um, oh, what's that club? Um, sound nightclub in LA, right? So did, did you I, ever I, play I, at Warsaw in, in I never, LA? I, I never played at Warsaw, no. That, that was the party. Like that yeah. was, that was the, one of the parties that I played a control control yeah. was the remember control at Avalon. 
Oh yeah, played it a couple of times. Yeah, I remember playing Control with VHS or Beta, and it'd be yeah. Like, oh, I mean, they're, they're another band. I mean, like okay, here's a so, here's a here's a quick shout out. Do you remember Basement of Short Shelbourne in Miami? Oh, I was on drums. <laughs> Craig from VHS Arbeta was on guitar and I forgot who was playing keys and we couldn't hear anything. It was terrible, but I didn't know how terrible it was. We were doing some karaoke and then you get on stage and said, that was the worst experience of actual musicians I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Do you remember that? I don't know if you remember that. No, I, I specifically awesome. remember that because I wish I could have heard how bad we were. Anyway. Oh, it was bad. I mean, like for me to say that, I'm, I'm sure it was bad. I, you, I, I think I actually got that verbatim because it's been scouring me for 15 I, years. I have. Your opinion of our performance. I just came across a video. I used to have these like crazy karaoke parties there. Yeah. Where, where then That's they would, what I'm talking about. They we would totally come, ruined your karaoke party. They, they would like turn into some weird hybrid of like live <laughs> and like, you know, we, we had, we had Mastercraft play live. Yeah. We played there like uh, Uffy and Feeds played Uffy, live there. Sure. DJs Man, are not rock stars played live totally. there. Shiny Toy Guns played live That's there. Right. I mean, it was like, it was a whole thing. But like, oh my God. I, I found a photo of the first karaoke party. <gasps> oh my God. Which mm, I, I hate- think was either 2002 or three. And th- for the last song, you know, what, what do you do to get everybody on stage and sing a last song? You sing, we are the world. So we had everyone on stage and in this photograph, it's hysterical. It's <laughs> me and Verbos with Chris Holmes, nice. Jake, Jake Shears ah, from Scissor Sisters, Kate yeah. Spooner from Fisher Spooner, and James Murphy from LCD Sound System. Oh, my God. That's and, a photo. And if you told somebody that's that great. part of Winter Music Conference was all of these idiots getting on stage <laughs> singing for the world and karaoke, <laughs> they would say, no, that never happened. That was, that was the, it was the only time. That and the Sunday closing event with you and Sebastian at Standard. Like, those were that, – that, that needed to happen. I have a quick shiny toy gun shout out. Oh, Jeremy. I talk to Jeremy all the time. South by Southwest, Jim Welch, their manager at the time, calls because we Shiny Toy Guns couldn't make their show. He asked if we could, we were there, Figo, we were there, we could play. So we played the show instead of Shiny Toy Guns, but it was like 24 hours notice. Uh, I remember like after the show, like it was Paul, our bass player, was asked to sign an autograph and he just went and did it. But they thought we were shiny toy guns, um, which we I don't know if we did a good enough job of correcting people that we weren't. I think we just kind of had fun with it. But oh, no, no. Sorry, but Jim. Sorry, somebody, Jeremy. When somebody comes up and, and says whatever they say, you always just say, yes. yeah, I don't think yeah. it doesn't matter what they say. Like, you just so, yeah. say thank you. One of our best shows. One of our best shows. Anyway, but, continue. But, OK, to just plow through the rest of that decade in a short yes, amount of please. time. Here's yes, here's what it was. It was like, you know, there were those moments in between where it was like, okay, now we're doing this like band stuff. And then like mm-hmm. I started doing all these major label remixes for rock bands. So I was remixing like the gossip and sure. 
and Fallout Boy and mm-hmm. Panic at the Disco and Good Charlotte and doing mm-hmm. all these like crazy mixes, the killers and mm-hmm. everything else and getting paid like obscene money that I've not seen since because like they don't pay those kinds of fees. Sure. No, of course, of course. Like, but it was, you know, it was a great time. And then Ultra put out the Ultra Rock CD, which was a two CD set of me mixing all of my rock mixes together. Yeah. yeah and yeah. And it was, it was great. But during that time, there were three key components that came to the forefront, which changed the music. And that the first one that, that brewed up was Switch and the fidget scene. So it was like oh, cool. Switch and Crookers mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know all these amazing artists that were making this like I guess it was the kind of the precursor to like Bass House, but it was like and to Dusta to, dude, totally totally you know, Herve and Sindin mm-hmm. and all these great I Crookers mean, was, like you're exactly right. I remember when that was coming out. That, that sound was, was coming out. That was brewing. And then at the yeah. same time as that Ed Banger was coming together. Mm-hmm. So Pedro, who had previously managed Daft Punk, Busy P, like, you know, he came out with like this very strong stable of artists. He had Uffy and he had Justice and he had Sebastian and he had Medi and all of these great people that were just like this musical family, which just like, you know, bum rushed the scene. And oh. then in like 2008 was the very beginning of Dutch house. So you had like Chucky and Sidney Sampson and Afrojack and, you know, and Afrojack was doing remixes of Larry T and and Roxy and all these great people. And it was just culminating into this, like you could, you could feel it coming. Like you, you, we, excuse me. <clears throat> I don't know, some stuck in my throat. Um, no maybe I'm getting emotional from talking about all. No, this. I, it's, it, dude, I'm, just, I'm like, I'm gonna just shut up. Like, I love this story. No, 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 it's all, it's all good. But like, it's great. Ba- basically, you know, we could tell that something was changing, and I, I'm very lucky. Sidebar, and I won't get into this for too long, but. The only reason that I'm here to tell these tales is because somehow I had the wherewithal, don't ask me how, but I was like, you know what, if I'm going to do this as a professional and I'm going to make this my life, well, part of being a lifer is staying alive. So I was like, okay, I have to get sober. And in April of 2005, that was the end of drinking and drugs for me. And what's crazy is the reason that I chose that is because I could see over the horizon, I could see that the industry was changing. Sure. I could see something big was coming. And within nine months of me getting sober, Daft Punk did the pyramid at, at Coachella, which yeah. was which was the it was Coachella no no it's right is it Coachella yep, and then Lollapalooza Coachella. that's right that's and right. It, that's that right. was that was minute one yeah oh my god for EDM because mm-hmm. you had an entire Sierra tent <clears throat> excuse me geez what is going on with my voice um you got to come down to North Carolina the uh air is much cleaner down here brother 
you <laughs> you you had you know an entire Sierra tent full of industry people, yeah. booking agents. Oh no! You know, oh my god! Every all yeah. these people, and you could see in the room. You could see light bulbs pop over every single person's head because all of these yeah. industry people looked up at that stage and said, oh, shit, we could tour DJs and we could make a lot of money. Yeah. And it was the first time that these people had ever taken electronic music seriously. And I remember the, well, you, my brother, and Junior you know, I'm coming in, you know, 2003-ish, whatever, but, like, Punkage would always say, because he came from, like, the progressive house scene, like, like how electronic music was always, always, like, a running joke, that it was always the next big thing. Like, I remember my early label days, we would do, like, Josh Wink's Ovum recording releases that got upstreamed to, to Sony. Yep. And even that is, like, 2000, that's, like, 99, 98, 2000, mm -hmm. I was a college rep. And I remember like giving those records to my brother and to Junior and then eventually to you. And, you know, Punkage would say, yeah, it's this, this sort of running joke. And, and running not running joke in, in a way that like everyone always thinks it's going to be next and it never did, late 90s. And then it did exactly when you're talking about. I mean, um, you know, and it, and it was funny because like we'd be like listening to the radio, you know, you'd be like living your life and and incidentally hear things playing in like clothing stores and restaurants and stuff. Mm -hmm. And the, I, I remember the first record that I heard that really made me go, hang on a second was SOS by Rihanna. Right on. Like when I heard that, I was like, hang on a second. Like this, this kind of feels like a dance record like but yeah. this is on the radio like yeah. and there hadn't been i mean it had been 10 years since like can't get you out of my head like by kylie yeah. Minogue. that was the last dance record i remember on yeah. the radio yeah. and and really it was 10 years before that with like black box and technotronic and, and you had fat you had fat boy slim in between with that with you know well that was one of the other moments yeah. where that was another almost you yeah, know yeah. The, yeah, exactly the Fat Boy Slim, Prodigy, Moby, totally, moment, totally, you know, and totally, 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 and totally. it should have because the music then was fantastic, but you know, it just didn't for whatever reason, and but you know, it, it you really could tell that there was something materializing, and and the the one that really pushed the, the you know kind of broke the membrane for for what was going to happen for the next decade was I Got a Feeling, the Black mm -hmm. Eyed Peas and David Guetta. Mm -hmm. When that mm -hmm. hit the radio, it was like, hang on. Totally. This is, like, we're living in a different world. Like, this is a club record that is being played, like, during the morning drive time, like, while people are, like, trying to get to work. That's, that's a big deal. And, yeah. you know, from yeah. that came, like, G6 and all these other records that were, like, such a big turning point for pop music and, and what, what was you know i was gonna say i was gonna comment connect the two what was happening is that we're talking like late 2000s coming off blog house coming off indie rock remixes you know what you were saying i think for you and for your for your career i i can i can try and position this but like what you're saying is when you're starting to remix 
some of the major label bands like Good Charlotte and Fat Boys. I'm uh, sorry, and uh, Fall Out Boy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so funny. I have a Good Charlotte story. Uh, I used to work that band when I was at working for another shout out to Harvey Leeds, Epic Records. Um, but uh, you know, that's when it, that's when it starts to get pop, you know towards pop, right? Because you know indie rock and that wave may have come and gone. It started to go into all right. This is now a thing, just like you said after Daft Punk. Um, and now you're going into just full on EDM, right? So let's talk about that. We're talking now early 2010s, yeah, 20 to, to 2015 ish. Maybe, maybe maybe call it all the way up to the pandemic because I I I I'd like to think that the pendulum's swinging back. But you know, you've got you've got full on EDM where you know traditional house, what you grew up on, what I was earlier exposed to has potentially got pushed aside. I remember being on a tour called identity festival where it was like the nice middle of the two, the headliners were like Skrillex and uh, you know, and, and a few others, but then they had uh, like Steve Lawler and they had, you know, some other like old school cats from like, you know, Paul Oakenfold, a few others on a few of those dates. A little like little little messy hybrid, you know, basically leading into you know you know right right before the pandemic, maybe late 2010. So take us take us there. Like in, it's now a thing. It's now EDM, yeah. you know. And then you know I can sit here and talk about all the thing. Like man, Jesus, like ADE Mumbai or all the the events that we did with uh, in New York for Christ's sake, right? So all that whole that whole ADE Amsterdam and Mumbai and like that whole time is like 2010 to 15 to 18 ish, mm-hmm. you know, that's full on EDM. And then it starts to kind of come down a little bit into the pandemic. What's going on in the state of music. And then also, you know, your label, I think at that time is also starting to really establish itself. You have continued your role as a as a very important curator in electronic music as a fan of music first of all mm. and then what you've done um i'd love for you to touch upon so the 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 birth and state of edm i guess over the past 10 years 2010 to pandemic but then you personally doing two kind of really big things and maybe there's more i'm sure there's more of course there's more um you know love to talk about after the raves with Netflix, which maybe is a good way that you started documenting, right? These past 10, mm-hmm. 15 years. Um, yeah. And then, you know, your role as a adjunct professor at New York University, right? All of that's going to lead to what we're going to talk about post-pandemic, but that's, that's a lot. And uh, God, please take yeah. 42.14 repeating hours yeah. and, give, and, give, and give it to us. Go for it. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Just, just to kind of serious about that. Just to quantify, just like how quick everything happened. The best yeah, case study, like a lot, that I can I can give you is in two thousand nine. I, I remember saying to my wife Daniela, I was like, "Who is my Love girl?" Daniela. Time, like you know, I, I I said to her like, "Hey, I really want to go to this this fool's gold." Party. Speaking of Daniela, it's a great lampshade you got there, Tommy. Oh yeah, that's all her. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, she, 
I say to her, I want to go to this fool's gold party. Um, but I don't, I, I want to go for the guy who's, who's opening the party. He's playing at 7 PM and I really want to see him play. And she's like, what's his name? And I said, Afrojack. Right and so we went to see Afrojack and Daniela and I were the only two people on the dance floor. We were like one of eight, you know, two of eight people at the party. And he came in and played this set in like his sandals and was amazing. And I was I instantly a fan. And the next year, he headlined the Beatport party, which was sure. like absolute unhinged in Miami of a party. Yeah. This is winter music. Conference. Nice. And so it was just like, you know, but from one year to the next, he went from being the opening DJ to being the headliner. And mm-hmm. like, there's nothing more EDM than that little mm-hmm. story because that's, uh, yeah, that's no. kind of what happened with everything. hundred percent during that whole era. And totally. there, there's a great photograph from that B-Port party that I treasure. And it's me and Pedro, Busy P, uh, Riton, Fake Blood, Medi. Wow. And I'm, I, 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 think that's, I think that's the whole crew. That's it? And that's we, it? Were, we were <laughs> thick as thieves. Yeah, right. We were oh thick as God. thieves back then. And it was just, I mean, and that was a huge thing for me because yeah. I was getting the nod from all these Europeans. And, you know, they were looking at what was going on in, in EDM. And, you know, a lot of the Americans that were coming into the EDM scene, they were not from what came before. They were not from Chicago. They didn't. They were not around when house music was, you know, g- going through its earliest stages. And totally. so they had this like respect for me that they didn't have for a lot of other cats. Yeah. And yeah. and that was that was something that was always, you know, I always really appreciated that yeah. because you know Daniela always called me the Jerry Lewis of house music <laughs> for some reason French love me oh and always did I get along with like everything I have every to edit time. our website I have to edit our website immediately the, but no I mean you know for some strange reason that's my place you know like it's, it's absolutely your place but you know th- there was this catapult into you know I'd been in the scene for by 2010, I had been doing it for almost 20 years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was, I mean, I wouldn't call it a hobby, but, you know, there wasn't a music industry. We didn't talk about stuff like that. We were a bunch of buffoons who <laughs> somehow were given some sort of agency and power and they let yeah. us make music and play music. And I mean, we were just, you know, we're former ravers who, who loved the music and, you know, we were artists who, who had something to say and something to express. And, you know, we were doing it in underground circles and, you know, we weren't playing shows for live nation and we weren't filling out W nines before we played gigs. We were just showing up and, and hopefully staying sober enough to not fall off the stage and break (laughs) our necks during the show. 
That was like, that was pretty much the whole thing. And that evolved very quickly into management and booking into a huge business and, and PR. And, you know, like all of a sudden there was all of these other components who, you know, all of these other kind of leeches that were grabbing onto our careers and mm-hmm. taking this percentage and taking that percentage and take, and, you know, now all of a sudden we were being drawn and quartered by the music business. And, yep. you know, through that, I remained adamant that what was happening was a good thing that like good things were going to come out of it. And, you know, ultimately it was going to be a good, you know, it was going to be good for the music because what, what happens in every scene, right? Like you get to a, a point where it's, it's, gotten underground huge mm-hmm. and then there's this transition that brings you into the mainstream mm-hmm. and when it when it gets into the mainstream inevitably that reignites the underground well because, you nailed it yeah yeah because what if you're if you're like a a 17 year old kid right mm-hmm. why would you want to see david Guetta? Like you were hearing no, I, David Guetta's songs in your mom's car growing uh, up. Why the I'm hell would you want to go that, see David Guetta? Like that would yeah. make you that would make you want to hear dubstep, and it would make you want to hear techno, and would would drive you into the fringes of electronic music, which it's done. And you know, I give a huge amount of gratitude to the Chainsmokers because you know. It's interesting you're saying that. I mean, they're the ones that really reignited the underground. Well, no, but I think everything you're saying is great and interesting, but it leads us to the pandemic because basically like you got the 15, 16, 17, 18, huge EDMs all over the place. Like you said, it reached the inflection point and now you need an agent and a manager and this and that. And I mean, that's a very uh, peripheral way of, 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 of trying to, uh, say what was going on from a business perspective, but it, you know, obviously massive explosion, boom, pandemic. And, you know, uh, it's funny because I can put this in my perspective, you know, we're coming off, we're about to do a major production with guitar center at winter music conference. You know, you as always helping curate, we're gonna have parties. We have, we have all these events, bam, um, pandemic hits and we have to shut everything down. And, you know, I remember this interview with, with Raheem, with juice Lord, where you know his one of his you know tracks that kind of has come out is called Quarantine, and it's like this this you you bring up the seventeen year old who's just coming out. There's this like middle ground period, and I remember having this conversation with you right when the pandemic was hitting. Was that like the 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 discovery mode is gonna hit for the people that are stuck inside, and it's also gonna be a moment of just I don't know of anything else to do. So I'm going to express myself. I'm going to write music. I'm going to do something, AKA quarantine from juice Lord and all, and what's going on with that. But then this whole music discovery period where, where, you know, the big commercial EDM phase right before the pandemic, I don't think is coming back like the way it was. I think what you're saying is this hybrid of discovery. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, so then now, and it's a good way to kind of wrap some things up 
for the bit on this on this interview. And I've kept you for almost an hour. And uh, I can't wait for you to come down to, to Durham and keep you for at least 48 hours um, <laughs> to do stuff. And we're going to do so many amazing events that uh, I'm so grateful for, for you to come down and, and just this is maybe event number 7,112 for us. Um, but, you know, where, where, where are we at now? Right. We, we hit the pandemic, you know, Bull City Summit's a great event that's going to showcase where we're at now. You're going to come, you're going to do some interviewing, but just talk about like artist development and electronic music. Talk about your artists from North Carolina, which I think is a great example of post pandemic artist development. And it's just great that they all happen to be from North Carolina or the majority of them. I mean, uh, I have so many artists yeah, coming from North Carolina. I can't even, I can't even list them all off. I know <laughs> inevitably I would like yet another get, reason for you to move to Durham, North Carolina. It's, it, I mean, it's, it's wild, but I mean, the, the main reason that this has come about is, uh, I became friends with a producer, uh, called on deck and mm-hmm. he was part of a duo bitch. Be cool. It was him. Yeah. And, uh, Domi, who is based in Charlotte, who is, you know, broken out in the last few years from putting out records on Brooklyn Fire to now she does stuff with House Trap, Dead Mouse's house label. And, you know, it's just like on this like trajectory of, you know, total rocket power. Mm -hmm. And so we started working together and I, I recognized right away that he had extremely good music taste. And of course it came to my knowledge that he had been DJing for, you know, 10 years plus. And I was like, there it is. I was like, you know, like, okay, that's why this guy, like, you know, he was, he was a, used to make breaks and, you know, was, was in that scene. And so he had gone through some evolutions and, you know, it, 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 it had been distilled down and he, he just had this like really great, music taste and i i immediately was like hey would you like to become like a satellite a and r for for brooklyn fire i'm like you, you know i i trust your ear like that's awesome you yeah. can bring in some really different stuff and so he started to sign like you know basically all his friends that he knew that were making records and i mean you know he would send the stuff to me and I'd get to yay or nay it. But like, you know, there wasn't a stinker in the bunch. Like I, I don't, you know, I never put out a record that, that he signed that I didn't like or that I didn't co-sign. So, you know, that, that was a, that was an easy connect. And, you know, he and I are playing together. And he's bringing you North Carolina producers and artists that he has in his network that are, that are, uh, starting to build out the roster. That's great. That's and that's where he's from. So, I mean, like yeah. he lived in Charlotte for a long time and he was living in Raleigh before he moved to Los Angeles where he's been mm-hmm. since 2017. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, it's, it's great that when you said to me, you were like, Oh, I'm going to do this, this thing. And it's going to be based in Durham. And I was like, funny enough i'm like actually i have hey. like a, i have like an entire roster of artists yeah. that that yeah. you know live in north carolina and yeah. i mean you know i i think there's there's something to be said about when you when you step outside of a big you know major metropolitan rat race yeah 
you know, you as a creative, you have the the kind of time and the uh, the energy to explore oh. so many different things because you're you not you're exactly, not the word explore yeah yeah you're not necessarily on the same hustle as like you know i mean everyone in new york is working 10 jobs cuz they don't yeah. want to lose their apartment so yeah. it's like you know you know been you don't, there you know, done that you know and and not only that yeah. You, let's not minimize what Durham was happening in Durham. I mean, oh, no, no, no. so much. I'm not saying you are. No, no, no. I'm not saying you are. Yeah. What I'm saying is, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it, I hear exactly what you're saying is exodus yeah. from big cities, but there's also something very congruent to, I think specifically Durham. I mean, um, you know, which I, I, I know you saw when you first came down here, but I think this week you'll, you'll really get a better. I mean, you know, come on. When yeah. I when I arrived in New York City and was living in Williamsburg, Williamsburg was an incredibly dangerous place. Yeah, no, yeah. That was Maybe. not a that was not a nice neighborhood. Like we were, we yeah. were, you know, definitely, um, you know, the the the, the 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 I don't even know what to call us, but like we were <laughs> we were the test pattern for for what came Avenue later. C but, Avenue B, yes, yes. But you know, oh. but basically, hmm. all of this you know, kind of coalesces into me doing the documentary yep. and, and, you know, and then up to NYU and I'll just, I'll kind of, you know, uh, I'll take us to now. Sure. And so, you know, I, I had done this PSA with a guy named Danny Lee. Uh, we had done like a harm reduction PSA because that was the year that I, I think a kid died at EDC when it was in LA. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we did this, it was like me and Aoki and Cascade and Z Trip, and it was awesome. Mm-hmm. Like we did this like amazing PSA, which unfortunately never made the airwaves. Yeah. Because, you know, it was immediately thought of as like being like pro ecstasy, and it wasn't. Right. It was just saying, like, if you're gonna do this, don't be an idiot. Like, you know, take care of yourself, look out for your friends, like don't buy stuff from people you don't know. Like, I think that was a little ahead of its time because I I think even now, yeah, there's a few, I mean, when I say now, I mean, pre pandemic when there was plenty of festivals, uh, hasn't had really full adoption. So, yeah. No. So, I mean, like, you know, so we did that and then like Danny and I kept in touch. And he came to Brooklyn. He was filming a documentary for Jay-Z for his YouTube channel about the Nets. And it was called The Road to Brooklyn. And it was tracing the, you know, the Nets leaving New Jersey and making their way to the Barclays Center. And he was interviewing all of these different people in the hip hop community. He was like, can you please just be like, another voice in this, like living in the neighborhood and like, just speak to like the changes. And I said, okay, cool. So we did the interview. And then like, when we were done, we had a bunch of time left. And he was like, if you had a TV show about EDM, what would it be about? Tell me about it. And he filmed me talking about it. Sure. And he took this like off the cuff improv and cut it into a sizzle reel and started pitching it around to basically every platform. That's great. And, you know, we had reached a point where we were like, okay, we've, 
I was on a lot of phone calls with people and, you know, you'd hear some like, you know, fat cat executive be like, <laughs> you know, oh, we've been looking for a way to get our claws into this EDM game. And I'd be like, I'd hang sure. up and like text Danny and be like, nope, like not doing <laughs> this. Like, because as someone who came from the culture, of course, of it was course. so important to me to yeah. do it the right way. And we had come to the end of the road. We pitched everybody. So we thought. and. No joke. We were like making peace with like shelving this. Yeah. And I think three or four days later, he called me and he was like, can, can you come to LA on Friday? And I was like, what? Why? Uh, and he's like, well, we have a meeting at Red Bull. And I was fantastic. like, come on. Like, and, and like, you know, we'd already done the, 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 sure. wake and the funeral yeah. for this thing. Yeah, so like, I was already on the other side of it. And, so, you know, I flew out and, and Red Bull was, was in the, in the midst of starting a network. They wanted to start yep. their own like TV, Red network. Bull TV. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and we were the first show to get greenlit for Red Bull TV. And I didn't know you were the first one on that. That's great. Yeah. We were, the, we were the first one. And what's crazy is that of all of these shows, which they did like this whole rollout where like everybody was there from like Google and Apple and, you know, all the tech people were there. And I interviewed Corella on stage, yep. you know, yep. talking about our experiences filming in Vegas and like, it was, it was awesome. But there were shows like Michael Rappaport had a show, like all of these like esports athletes were like, you know, th- they were all there, all the, the biggest gamers. And like, it was, I mean, it was really amazing, like what they had put together. But yeah. when all was said and done, they had 30 shows in development that were wow. currently shooting, 30. Wow. And the only one that ever made it to market was after the raves our show so we were the only one that ever made it to the other end of the tunnel and yeah it it went up and it it it, you know they insisted on on putting it through their kind of pr channels and i Mm -hmm. begged i was like listen if you don't get like catherine frazier or alexandra greenberg Mm -hmm. or like an actual like you know edm you know, uh, electronic music publicist, it's never going to go. And it didn't. And then all of a sudden, like 18 months later, I get like a random text message from Danny. And he was like, next week, the show goes up for a year on Netflix. And I was like, what? (laughs) So, so, you know, this show that no one got to see was on Netflix for a year. And everyone got to see it. And then it came time where there was discussion about doing another season. Red Bull didn't want to do it because Mm -hmm. like it just wasn't beneficial to them. And they, and, and Netflix was like, okay, well we'll do season two. Brilliant. And Red Bull was like, no, you can't have the show. We own the show. Uh, Oh, and then, you know, we were like, okay, well then let's do something new. And they were like, nah, like we, this was already a thing. We want to build on this. Like anyway, that was, that was that, but I had a great time like going to all these cities. It's a fantastic series, man. And, uh, you you know, it's a shame it it didn't get to have a second season, but really 
captured everything that we're talking about leading up to 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 where we are now. I think more so actually more it was more than that because you really went deeper with some of these more historical. I remember the episode that you did with 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 Fatboy Slim. Um, but oh, yeah. but you know uh, it's 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 just it's so exciting to have you here this week, man. Um, we're going to really. I think start something that is pretty special post pandemic. You know, I know you and I have, have kind of thrown this around, like, let's just do it all over again. And it's, it's going to be a fantastic thing in, in Durham. You're going to crush it Friday night. Can I, I know you got some surprises. Actually, like, please. There, it's important to me because like, you know, I've done please. all of this. Every one of these. I've done IMS and Ibiza. I've done ADE. I've done South by Southwest. I did, um, you know, New Music Seminar and and did all of the- all I love that you things. just called it New Music Seminar and not CMJ. That is well, why. I, I mean, they were different <laughs> things. No, I, know, I know, I know. I did both. Sorry. I mean, like- I, so so, I'm a little festival geek, so when you say stuff like that, I get a little giddy. I, I've done all the things, you know, like, it, and having done all of them- Yeah. You know, there there is always an amount of excitement in me stepping into something that is new and fresh, because unfortunately, as everything seems to go in late stage capitalism, like, you know, it, it's only a matter of time before these things like, and, you know, so the trajectory sometimes is 20 to 30 years. Sometimes it's 20 to 30 days. It depends on who's, depends on who's at the wheel. But, like, you know, there comes a time with any of this stuff where, you know, inevitably there's, there's bigger influences. Yeah. And, and there's, there's people who have lots of money who get to make decisions and the, the kind of, grassroots people in the equation get pushed aside. And it's so exciting that there is going to be another situation in this country that isn't exactly. driven by, you know, the biggest corporations and isn't, you know, and, and listen, it's all about how it's done. You exactly. know, like I am not, you know, and, Part of part of being a, a a participant in this crazy human experiment is just you know learning how to get along with all of the angles, and I think that you know what what we really have to do is you know there's nothing wrong with like having sponsors and right. you know sponsors make it right. possible to do this stuff. Right. But it's how it's done. I think it, it, you, you, the way you said it, it's how yeah. it's done. How it's how, done. You know, the brands that we have on board, it's, it's so artist development driven and artist support driven, whether it's grant programs or this or that. And uh, the other thing I'm going to say is I don't think Durham will allow for anything that's not authentic. This town is tough, you know, in a good and way. We need that. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it's, it's, you know, I mean, it, it, I, come on. I mean, all, all of these places go through metamorphosis, you know, yeah. uh, you know, New York certainly has in 20 years. I mean, Austin, Texas was a totally different planet 20 years yep. ago. You know, like it's, I mean, Austin is still Austin and they're keeping it weird, but yeah. it, 
it ain't as weird as it was 20 years ago. I'll tell you, Mike. So, you know, there is solution to things and that's okay. You know, like I'm, I'm here doing my thing right now. And, you know, in the not too distant future, I won't be. And well, in, in the not too distant future, you'll also be doing your thing here in Durham. Well, yes. And, and, you know, about two, three days time. And uh, I can't wait to have you. I can't wait to have you here, man. You're going to, you're going to be playing at Motorco Friday night as a late night with some special guests. And it's just going to be a, a great moment. And Tommy, I'm, I'm grateful. Thank you for, for everything. This is still just the beginning, which is crazy. 20 years later, 21,000,017 shows later. Um, Tommy, we're going to see you Friday night. Thank I'm coming in hot. Yes, you it's are. It's going to be good. We're gonna have a good time. I hope you wear comfortable shoes. I hope you like to dance. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't wear shoes, but thanks for asking. <laughs> Hippie. For everybody interested in attending the Bull City Summit, September fourteenth to eighteenth, visit bullcitysummit.com to get tickets and info on upcoming events. This podcast was edited and produced by Earfluence. Thanks for listening to the Bull City Summit podcast. This podcast is a production of EarFluence. The views and opinions expressed are those of the hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of EarFluence.